Well, it was when I started the store, I had no retail experience either. How to build community around a purposeful brand. So it's a combo platter of stimulus and quiet, I think. Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And we're on a mission to develop a conversation about the role of creativity in business. And this week's guest, I think, hits our brief on the, uh, the nail on the head. It's, it's Remo Dufre, um, who is both an entrepreneur. He runs a successful store in Sydney, um, a general store, but also the curator and license holder for TEDx in Sydney. So TEDx, that world famous platform for people to share great ideas. Uh, Paul, I, I got loads of insights out of it. Shall I keep going? Or was there something you want to tease us with? Yeah. No, look, I, I got, I got, I got heaps as well. Um, Romo is such a, insightful thinker and the way that he has unpacked his 30 or 40 years of experience with his Ramos General Store in TEDx Sydney about ideas, intuition, knowledge, uh, business acumen and sometimes lack of it uh, and ideas and stories as well, storytelling. Uh, so it, absolutely fantastic interview and great insights. Are yourself and a, and a surprisingly disarming interview because I would put Remo as one of the gods of creativity. He's rubbed shoulders with, with many of the world's greatest thinkers. And he was very frank and very open about his own failings. So he, he, you know, he knows that he's not great at what he calls the back end of business. Um, but what struck me particularly was the idea of mixing stimulus and deprivation is habit every morning of meeting people, watching things happen, and then cutting himself off and using that time to develop a plan for the day and develop new ideas. And if ever there are a man that could teach us about new ideas, it's Remo. Well, let's get him um, on the show. So, Remo, uh, Jufre, welcome to The Common Creative. It's great to have you here. Well pronounced. Thank you, Paul. Well pronounced. So, so tell us, is it Remo as in, how do we pronounce it? Uh, Remo is in demo, although my wife uh, likes to recall someone um, having having me said that to them, said, Remo as in demo? I, I <laughs> People have a way of pronouncing my name, and they'll never be—they'll never change. <clears throat> I, I get a bit of that. Uh, my surname is Meredith, and I, somebody once said to me, "Oh, Meredith, you mean like the girl's name?" <laughs> it's my name too, you know. <laughs> a, a boy, a boy called Meredith. Yeah, by Johnny Cash. <laughs> so, so Ramo, like demo. Um, yes. Look. We're, we're, we're so interested to have you on the show, and I'm sure a lot of Australian listeners will know of you from your uh, iconic shop that's been around in, in various forms over 30 years, is it? Um, 30, 33 years this year. Wow, 33 years. It's longer than Christ lived for. And you've also been the licensee and, and host of TEDx Sydney, which has been the most amazing TEDx in Australia, if not probably the world, uh, for at least a dozen years, is it? Yeah, 10, 10, uh, 10, 10 11 years, yep. Do you want to shoot us off of maybe you know, around your TEDx experience? I'd be really interested to uh, to hear. Well, it's Ted. my TEDx uh, career kind of was born of my 
Remo General Store career in that the founder of Ted, Richard Saul Woman, was unbeknownst to me, really, one of my mail order customers uh, who used to receive one of our very well-known annual catalogues. And uh, he contacted me uh, one one year, I think it might have been 1992, via fax. And he said, look, I'm a big fan of your catalogue. It reminds me of the... Um, of the whole Earth catalog, and uh, I'd like you to—I'd like to invite you to this event that I organise every year called TED. Uh, it's an intimate gathering of people uh, in Monterey, and um, I'll comp you as my guest on the condition that you bring um, a thousand of those catalogues along with you, so that I can give them to all of the attendees. So it was a bit of a win-win really for a small business guy in Darlinghurst and so began my relationship with Ted and then um, over the years I did lots of stuff with them, designed things, made them t-shirts, helped them with initial ideas on their website over and over and over again, more more and more t-shirts, more and more designs. I was like the Ted t-shirt guy for a long time and would attend the conference in those years where I wasn't going broke, actually. So, <laughs> and then in 2009, they approached me, having known me for such a long time, to see whether or not I would be their safe pair of hands in uh, Sydney, because they regarded that as a key market for their TEDx, then embryonic TEDx program. So, it seemed like a good thing for me to do, turning 50, an old dog, maybe due to learn a new trick. Um, I'd spent a lot of time selling T-shirts and moisturizer and coffee beans and uh, stationery. And, um, you know, those things were always really just manifestations of ideas and stories and, and stuff. So I thought, well, well, why not actually get into the business of the ideas themselves? So that uh, that was my, you know, to use a... a I'd love to hear more about that because you say it's just, I thought I'd get into the business of the ideas themselves. You know, I think normal people would say, look, I run a shop, I do coffee, I do moisturizer, whatever. I know nothing about conferences, let alone a conference on the scale of TED or TEDx. So normal people would say, no, for this sake, I'm too busy. But you didn't. What gave you the confidence to embrace something completely new and something quite big scale as well? Well, of course, it wasn't big scale to begin with, but it just quickly became so. Um, I think my net, my creative networks were very deep um, because of my retail work. And so when other TEDx organizations around the world were picking up a few volunteers here and there, I quickly had a kind of a whole wave of people who weren't at the beginning of their creative careers, but were actually at their creative peaks. They were, you know, senior journalists at the ABC. They were curators in various organisations. So we got a lot of horsepower very, very early on and a lot of people who were interested, as I was, in doing good work and not compromising. So, you know, every year became uh, a challenge to up on the year before and do something a little bit more special, a little bit more miraculous and with more complexity. And uh, and that was that. But in terms of the confidence to do it, um, well, it was when I started the store, I had no retail experience either. I think uh, there is something to be said for having no experience and not knowing, you know, what you should be scared of. Um, of course, that kind of cuts both ways because as a retail um, business operator, I was very good at the yin and not so good at the yang, you know. So um, uh, so things kind of came a cropper there uh, paradoxically at the peak of um, 
of demand uh, due to um, inattentive uh, inattention uh, on the admin and the back end and all of the things that happen underneath the surface. So, when did it when did it come a cropper? Uh, uh, nineteen ninety five, it came a cropper. So it, it started in nineteen eighty eight, and for eight years, experienced you know compounded annual growth of about fifty fifty percent, grew from a half a million in sales to about five million in sales. But the way that it was financed, in retrospect, was extremely um, inelegant. Uh, it was financed like by effectively by junk bonds from rock stars and merchant bankers and lawyers at the big end of town who were putting kicking in twenty thousand here, fifty thousand there, but who who would actually receive a uh, an interest rate return that was tied to revenue growth, not profitability. So the bigger we became, the more expensive our cost of capital became, and uh, that in combination with sort of um, various operational inefficiencies due to my focus on um, creating demand and beating the drum and building the community um, was a sort of a toxic cocktail as it happened and it all just kind of came crashing down. Um, As I say, ironically, after, you know, another bumper Christmas at the end of 1994. Good grief. Now, I'm I'm wondering, I'm looking at three people for, for listeners I can see three faces on my screen and all of us, for various reasons, are wearing black. And therefore I'm saying, we've got, I'm thinking we've got three creatives on this particular show. Does The question is, does every creative need, need somebody with them who's normal, sensible, to keep an eye on the books, to, to organise things? Because creatives are self-defeating. They, they can't exist by themselves. Um, I, th- I think it's. Um, I think it is a blessing if you can find a partner um, who balances balances and makes you a more complete um, whole. I think now with TEDx Sydney, um, my general manager Susan McMahon is um, plays that role pretty well. I mean, we're 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 almost always on the same page, but she's definitely more conservative and she's definitely more risk averse, and she's. Um, and she does ask the question uh, from time to time in response to my typical, you know, why not? Why can't we do that? Let's let's do it. You know, what the hell? What have we got to lose? Um, and in terms of the colour, the colours of clothing that we wear, I've actually always been a black and white um, wearer, you know, since before um, my creative career, really. I think I, I kind of early on, uh, decided that I just didn't want to spend any time thinking about what colour I was going to be wearing or what pattern I was going to be wearing. So uh, I've I've had a uniform for my entire adult life, and uh, which have kind of changed marginally. I think in the old store days, it may have been, um, you know, Comme de Garçon pants and a, and a white cotton shirt, uh, you know, done up to the top and maybe, a, you know, a blazer and I would just wear that every day. At some point, though, I've kind of casualed down and down and down to the point where if, if I can't throw it in the washing machine, I'm not going to wear it. You know. Ramo, your Ramo General Store is is still alive and it's, it's, on, it's online now, that's right, only online, and you did have a small 
Bondi store in, the, in between. Is that correct? Yeah, it's had a it's had a bunch of different manifestations. There was the big, you know, version one was the was the big department store in Darlinghurst, and then it went into um, hibernation. And when it came back, it was it was um, online uh, online only from a, a warehouse in Surrey Hills. And then, uh, to then it became kind of like a hybrid version with a small shop front in Bondi, but as the front end to a an internet back end operating out of the same shop. Um, then that shop went away, and now it's uh, it's just a very small online business. It's it's, it's really just operates uh, to kind of keep a pulse uh, in the brand. Um, largely for sentimental reasons, also for, you know, a little bit of um, ancillary income reasons. And, uh, you know, it's nice uh, to continue to serve customers, some of whom have been customers of that brand for decades. Mm. I noticed, I uh, sort of say it's only, you know, you know a, a small thing, but I just noticed that now you have these, you know, organic Australian-made uh, T-shirts, um, which I suppose in the current climate, you know, are, are two good things to both have organic but also to have Australian made. Yeah, it was a, a big decision to repatriate the manufacturing um, of both the T-shirts and the stripe, stripy tops. Um, the stripy things are coming in a couple of weeks, but um, significantly more expensive, like by a multiple of, of you know, three or so. But um, I think uh, worth it. Um, philosophically and um, and from a brand perspective. So um, shallower stocks um, costing a lot more money um, um, with a, you know, a little bit of a price increase, but not too much for the customer, but but um, all, all about organic, all about local. Again, back to the future. <laughs> so no, that's, fan- that's fantastic to hear. Uh, we hear you introduce TEDx in Sydney each year. It's great to see you on stage. Have you ever wanted to be a TEDx speaker, a chance to have your 15 minutes to kind of sound off your view of the world? Or, or are you happy being the kind of facilitator and, and MC of things? I'm happy being that. I, You know, I'm happy being the facilitator. I have accumulated um, over 30 years a whole bunch of um, intuition and knowledge and wisdom and uh, about how to cut through and how to build community around a, a purposeful brand, etc. I'm not sure exactly how I package that uh, for the benefit of others other than by the doing, you know, so I see my, my speaking as more in the doing. Um, of course, if I was more commercially smart, I'd, I'd have figured out how to uh, productize uh, my, my wisdom and experience into something, um, but I have not been that. And, um, uh, you know, that's... Well, let me, let me that, see if I can wring that insight out of you, because I, I, you must have met some extraordinary speakers. So, you know, I, I, I've been to TEDx in Sydney, I don't know how many times, I don't know, let's say half a dozen times, and I've witnessed these incredible people. Uh, my question is: What is there? A, is there a, any threads that that go across TED speakers? Those those amazing people with amazing stories and wonderful ideas. Can you, what is it that makes a person worthy of the TED stage? Um, well, Paul could speak to this too, having 
done the same thing in his um, market, but it's really, um, it's really, it's not how slick they are. It's not how good they are at presenting. It's not how compelling or charismatic they are. Really, it, it ultimately just comes down to the the quality of their idea. Um, so that's that's our curatorial focus in Sydney. Is is if the idea is strong, then everything else uh, will fall into place uh, with some with some skilled um, mentoring and production. Just to be clear, though, I think of I'm the curator of the curators, so I'm not on the front line of the curatorial process when it comes to should we speak to that nuclear physicist or that one, that botanist or that historian. So my um, my curation is about the people who do the curating, and um, it's it's normally not until more than halfway through the cycle that they even give me access to the Trello board. To show me what they're, uh, what because I I think they they value they value not having me you know breathing down their neck uh, for a time. I, and I have not yet been given access to the Trello board for twenty twenty one. I have to say, right, uh, Rama, I, I I have a I'm interested on your take on this, and I suppose have a, a bit of a, a view. Um, Ted, as we all know, I'm sure listeners know, is about ideas worth spreading, and and I love the fact that. TEDx Sydney is is about you know the quality of the idea. So many of the ideas, and you know Chris and I, Chris more so is very much into storytelling. You know, are often linked to stories. Um, I know on a couple of occasions, you know, we had a, a call from Ted who said you got you, you had too many stories, not enough ideas. Mm. Well, do you have a view on the balance of of or you know when people present ideas about the power of story in in that idea without necessarily taking over the idea to make it just a story? Well, I don't think that the idea can be about ideas. You know, like that's that's a kind of a meta approach which you know is more about you know motivational speaking and you know the power of positive thinking and all that it's really substantive you know it's about it's about mushrooms it's about solar systems it's about ways of doing work and uh, and to the extent that those ideas are um, man- are articulated through story then that's a very natural way to communicate the idea so um, I don't know if you can separate um, the telling of an idea from the telling of the the communicating of an idea through the telling of a story. You know that maybe the latter is the most powerful way to actually get inside the brain, get inside the mind of your audience, because people are very used to receiving ideas in the form of parables and stories and uh, and the like. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, that's, that's, I think that's well. Um well summarized just as an aside one of the people that you know there was some criticism about on ours was jessica watson who was the youngest girl to sail around or person ever to sail around the world and when i explained i said oh well we'd have her on our main stage so (laughs) carry on you carry on you know that's uh, Mm -hmm. that's that's all that's all fine but uh you know what an amazing story but her story was actually about preparation. That was her. That was her whole thing about the need. And you know, this, and it's a similar thing when um, you know a, a storied uh, architect. Um, who was that Italian architect that took the stage uh, a few years ago? Um, anyway, could have been Renzo Piano, but it's like. I did this beautiful thing and then I did this beautiful thing and then I made this beautiful thing. And, you know, <clears throat> it's um, it's an interesting kind of walk through someone's body of work, but what does that actually teach people? Um, Bjark Ingels was the same, you know. So I think there's always a, 
<clears throat> I think there's always a responsibility for us as curators to try to figure out what the what the um, golden thread is that links their body of work and and ideally what is the idea that is driving them and which is manifest in their work. Yeah. I, I understand that, you know, as a as an architect, I have, after I went to my first TED conference you know, 15 years ago, I don't think I went, I've been to an architectural conference since because at architectural conferences, people just talk about, I did this building, as you said, I did that building, that's what they do. And it's, and it's not particularly very interesting. <laughs> well, it's interesting, but only to a certain, certain limit. Um, um, Rema, I'm interested uh, in you know in what's what's current or what's what's next for you in your uh, in your journey uh, or what, what you're thinking about or what's front of mind. Well, I guess um, the Remo General Store was my first act, and my second act is and was and continues to be TEDx Sydney, and I, I have you know turned sixty one. I've you know got a, a chunk of work life. Uh, left in me and a desire to work and, you know, enjoy work. Um, I enjoy thinking. I enjoy engaging with people. There are some aspects of running a business that I don't enjoy, the um, the chronic financial pressure and the logistical issues and the um, all of the sort of rats and mice that, are, that come with um, being an entrepreneur. Uh, so I am I am actively looking at what's next for me. Um, I'm not necessarily good at shedding what I've done before, as you can see. I'm still you know selling things under the Remo brand. So in terms of my um, custodianship of TEDx Sydney, I I more imagine a situation where I step back rather than step off completely. Um, uh, but what I have. What I'm thinking about now is what I touched on before, and that is how can I um, how can I package what I've learned in such a way uh, that I can uh, deliver it to audiences, you know, groups or individually um, in exchange for some you know commercial return that keeps the machine ticking over. Um, how do I do that in a way that's not going to expose me to the kind of risk? Uh, and complexity that I've kind of had for 30 or 40 years that I don't necessarily crave for the next 20, 20 years or 20 or 30 years. So that's a very convoluted way of saying that I'm searching for um, a, a place in the world for Remo, the, the general thinker and the creative strategist, um, and um, looking at various models um, that other people have developed to either digitally or in real in real life uh, to deliver to deliver that economically um, I had an interesting coffee the other day with uh, Tim Duggan the author of um, cult status which was a book came out last year I don't know if you saw it um, he's writing he's writing a new book um, and uh, interviewed me uh, about that and we had a very similar conversation He's working on um, he's working on an online uh, course um, and pointed me to a couple of platforms that help you do that. I've I've looked at it and I'm you know nothing looks like it's exactly right for me. So I think as I have done in the past, my the answer to my searching is not going to be an off the shelf solution. It's going to be something that I'm going to have to 
customised to my p- particular uh, set of skills and needs and proclivities, uh, like all of us, really, designing the next stage of our, our lives. Rem, can I just go... <coughs> Chris. I, just, I want to go back to the role of Ted, which seems to be getting more and more important. Um, but I remember coming to my very first TEDx in Sydney and asking myself why... Or how it is that a conference with an agenda of sharing good ideas had a had a role? Why isn't it already being done by other media? Why isn't it already being done by the ABC, um, SBS? How come there's a market gap for something that the world so obviously needs? It's like you've invented chocolate bars. Nobody ever thought of chocolate bars before. Um, and and I even know, if and you know what you, when I when I opened the store when I opened the general store it was kind of like well what do you mean well, there's a million gift shops why do you need what's the what's different about this one and I said well it is different and because it will it's a storytelling it's a storytelling model it's not a um, it's not an executive toy uh, place it's a place to tell stories and build community and the and the products became you know manifestations of you know the the diagram I draw is that as is of an iceberg and the and the item is the at the very tip of it and the, and it's the telling of the story with passion and authenticity that actually sells the tip of the iceberg but the other thing about the general store back in those days was that it um it it broke the barriers between the apothecary and the news agent and the place where you buy clothes and the place where you get coffee to to the point where that is now commonplace, but but back then it wasn't. But it was based on a very old idea. You know, the general store goes back centuries, and the general store was not just a place to go and buy your hurricane lamps and your salt uh, and your twine. It was a place to hang out with other people. It was a place to get your mail. It was a place to stick things on a notice board. It was a place to shoot the breeze with other, other members of the community. So some of the best ideas are the most intuitive and are therefore the least pursued by others who are applying a formula. Uh, so that was an intuitive idea. The uh, the TED conference um, itself was an intuitive idea, as you say, that in retrospect looks obvious, but no one had uh, thought to do. I've got another uh, big idea, which I don't, which I'm not sure that I'll ever get to execute, but it's back to bricks and mortar, and it would be. Um, mashing up everything I've learnt about the physicality of the general store with everything that I've experienced about the sharing of ideas through a platform like TEDx Sydney. So imagine like a theatre restaurant for ideas where you have a small stage which is fairly densely programmed on a daily basis, but but the energy of the space comes from the streets in the form of a very active and busy food and beverage um, you know, operation. So effectively like a cultural hub um, that is driven by the programming um, associated you know, with, with the place. Now, I, I also think that's a pretty um, intuitive idea, uh, but for whatever reason, I can't see any place doing it well. All of the, um, all of the Soho House um, style uh, private clubs around the world are, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not connected to the street. They're, they're uh, you know, a few floors up or behind velvet ropes. They don't have a, the porosity and the interface bet- between, you know, the, the neighbourhood and, and the content. 
So there's a, there's a free idea there from Remo for our listeners. You said you weren't necessarily going to do that. I mean, that's, that's got to be gold, Buster. A, a theatre for ideas that's connected to the street. You heard it here first. Thank you very much, Remo. I think you should get a get a royalty even when that takes off and somebody somebody does something with it. Now, Remo, we toyed with a challenge for for us actually um i don't know if you could help us out we're, we're hoping to start a little process of asking our speakers to share a habit or a quirk that helps them maintain their creativity and then the idea is paul and i can give it a go and report back on how we went and i just wonder, do you have any creative habits that, that help keep you vibrant keep you searching for new ideas um is there anything you can you can challenge us to do during the next week and report back on? Mm, I have a um, informal routine um, that helps me think. Um, most of the time, I'm living in Bondi near the beach, and the morning routine involves walking with my wife and our dog along the promenade to the Bondi Icebergs, which is at the other end of the beach from where we live. Um, in over the course of that, um, and then when we get to the icebergs, we tie the dog up, we go down into the club, we and we have a sauna. Uh, and then after the sauna, um, Melanie has a dunk in the in the pool, and I do my laps uh, before joining her for a coffee after, or she's gone home because she's got stuff to do. So the combination of you know, and in that half an hour to forty minutes of walking and sitting in a sauna, the 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 density of Bondi is such that you might have ten or twenty interactions with people, conversations, short ten second conversations. You might have another have another fifty or so vignettes that that register in your head, whether or not someone doing a workout or a or a dolphin jumping out of the water or a dog doing something strange over there or someone that you can't recognise that you might might have gone to school with fifty years ago. Um, so there's a lot of stimulus stimulation that happens, which is then followed by a period of relative quiet being the 25 minutes that it takes me to swim 20 laps. And I think the combination of that um, uh, stimulation, visual and oral and sensory uh, stimulation, uh, followed by um, relative deprivation, sets me up. Uh, in such a way that um, I will often think of things while doing laps in the pool that I will then, you know, execute on later that day or later that week. So, so it's a combo platter of stimulus and quiet, I think. So whether or not your listeners can figure out their version of that. Um, I would think everybody would be able to, whether it be a kind of a walk, sitting in a cafe, and then just a quiet spot. But stimulus and deprivation, the combo platter. I think that's a brilliant challenge. Are you up for that, Paul? Yeah, I'm certainly up for that. Uh, and uh, to and to be very you know, thoughtful about it, mindful about, you know, what's going on, uh, those two things. Because I, I do have a morning walk and I do run into people, not as many as that, but uh, I don't really think of it that way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a crack uh, for sure. Um, Remo, we, we'll, um, we've, we've reached our time. I, I just wanted to say and, and ask where people can find you because in terms of how you described, you know, your how you approached the, the Remo General Store about a product, but it was really the point, a bit of the iceberg, and it was really about telling that story with passion or authenticity. 
Um, you've obviously got a great story to tell, and whilst you're still working it out about how you might, as you say, productize that, how, how do people find you if they want you know you to come and talk to them uh, to share your your knowledge and experience on a commercial basis? The best place would be my website, remojufray.com, um, and there's a contact form there. On that website, there's um, a link to a book that I wrote, um, believe it or not, nearly seven years ago now. It, um, it seems like only yesterday, and, and that book uh, tells a lot of my stories and manifests a lot of this thinking. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from uh, anyone who who uh, wanted to somehow engage me uh, within their organisation or for their conference or or whatever. I think we'll kind of learn together what works. We'll put a link to that website in our show notes. So uh, thanks, Ramo. It's been uh, it's fa- been fantastic to uh, to connect with you and to hear uh, your your insights uh, and and your story it's been fantastic no pleasure and thanks thanks a lot it's got me uh, got me thinking got me thinking early thanks for joining us today if you'd like not to miss any future episodes please subscribe and if you subscribe it helps others find us and a huge thank you to zane weber our audio engineer to michaela rock our producer i'm chris meredith we'll see you next week i'm paul fairweather join us then